0: message is presented by Erie Evangelical Free Church in Erie, Illinois. We are a church that exists for the good of our community and are proud to share the gospel of Jesus Christ as we seek to know him and make him known. I think I've mentioned before, uh, I have had in my life several recurring nightmares. They're not like terrifying ones, but they they reveal some anxieties that I have had uh, over over, uh, the course of my life. One of them I don't have very often anymore, but I used to have a lot. So for those of you who don't know, after college, uh, I I ran marathons, and I ran pretty competitively. Uh, In fact, I would train 130 to 150 miles a week out running, and I would train all that time for two races a year. I'd run one marathon in the spring and one in the fall. That was it. So all this time and energy is poured into this, like, Two races a year, one in the spring, one in the fall. So every time I started a race, it was a big deal to me. I put in a lot of work and prepped, and this was really important. But I used to have this recurring nightmare that I was on the starting line of a a marathon, and the gun would go off, and I'd start running, and I'd feel really good. And I'd be running well, and things would be going really smoothly. And then, like, all of a sudden, I'm in the middle of nowhere and there is no one around. And I realize I am way off course and there is no way I'm getting back into the race. And so I stop, I quit because I have no direction left. There's no use in continuing, trying to get back to where I need to go. And so I don't know what to do next. Most of us, as we sit here today and we think about the year ahead of us, we want the next year to be the best year of our lives, don't we? Anybody? No? Maybe it's just me. We (laughs) will... We probably want the next year of our lives to be the best year of our lives. We want not only to be successful at the things we do, but we want to be fulfilled. We want to feel satisfied when we get to the end of the year, all that good stuff. But we also, because you're sitting here today, I know that you also want to grow and mature spiritually in the year ahead. But the question before us is always, okay, so how do I do that, right? because it's easy to say, yes, I want to grow. Yes, I want to mature. Yes, I want to be successful. Yes, I want to be fulfilled. Yes, I want all this stuff to happen. But how do we do it? The starting point is always having a vision for the year ahead. Knowing where we're going, knowing what we are doing. We need a solid vision to give us a concrete direction or else we'll end up running aimlessly. And like my nightmare, we'll find ourselves off course in the middle of nowhere and we'll just give up. So the question is, how do we set that foundation for and see the development of a a purposeful mission-oriented vision for our year ahead? Matthew chapter nine, verse 25 through 28 gives us a glimpse of Jesus' vision for his ministry, that foundation that he built upon for his mission. And and, and it shows us how we can look at our lives ahead, how we can plan, how we can set a vision to work to the end of his calling. So let's start in Matthew chapter nine. Let me just start by reading verses 35 through 38. It says, Jesus continued going around to all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every sickness. When he saw the crowds, he felt compassion for them because they were distressed and dejected like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is abundant, but the workers are few. Therefore, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his field. The first foundation that Jesus gives us here of a a, a missional vision in our lives is that our vision must stir from compassion. If we're gonna grow and mature in our faith, if we are gonna accomplish the things that God puts before us this year, then our vision must stir from compassion. Compassion is a great church word, isn't it? We talk about compassion a lot in church circles, but do we ever really talk about what compassion is? What does that really mean? Well, if we go back to the Old Testament, we find that the word compassion actually comes from the same Hebrew word for womb. It's a word that that God uses in describing himself in Exodus 34, verse six. It says, the Lord, the Lord is is a compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in faithful love and truth. And the fact that God calls himself compassion, compassionate, he's using this Hebrew word for womb. Compassion is the picture of a mother's tender love and deep care for her child. To, To be compassionate is to be compelled by a deep love, a deep care for, a deep protection of, provision for another person. That's what it looks like to love like Jesus loved. It requires two things, really. To be compassionate requires that we understand God's love for us and two, that we seek to employ it through our lives by sharing Jesus' love and forgiveness with others just as he has shared it with us. Compassion says, listen, I know there there are hurts, there are pains there, and I know you don't deserve God's love, But God has loved me, and so I will share his love with you to protect, to provide, to seek the best for another person. If we go back to Matthew chapter 9, verse 35 and 36, let's read this again. It says, Jesus continued going around to all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and every sickness. When he saw the crowds, he felt compassion for them because they were distressed and dejected like sheep without a shepherd. Jesus here in his mission, what's he doing? He's going around to towns and villages. He's preaching, he's teaching, he's healing. He's bringing the good news of God's great and awesome love for his people. He understands God's love and he seeks to share it with others. That's what he's doing. But verse 36 says, and why is he doing all of this? Why does Jesus feel compelled to go teach, proclaim, heal the sick? Right? Because remember, we talked about this before, all the people that Jesus heals, all the people he proclaims the, the, the gospel to, are all of them faithful to him? No. There's some people that come just for a healing like, hey, that's great. I got what I needed from Jesus. I'm gone. I'm going to go do my own thing now. Jesus isn't coming to say, okay, I'm going to heal my faithful and my faithful. No, no, he comes. Why? Preaching the good news. And what is the motivation for that? It's compassion. It's that mother's tender love and deep affection and care for her child. This is Jesus' approach to those around him, to God's aimless and lost children. He looks at them and he, he sees they're like sheep without a shepherd. And we don't have time to go into all the ideas of, of sheep and shepherd in the New Testament because that is a, a long study in and of itself. If you've never studied sheep and shepherds in the New Testament, great study for your new year to see how, how incredible this picture is. But if we get back to the core of it, what Jesus is saying is they are sheep without a shepherd means they're aimless. They're endangered. They're helpless. And they have nowhere to go and nowhere to turn because no one can love them and take care of them. Before Christmas, we had sickness run through our family. And Somehow Emerson managed to not get sick. I don't know how that happened, but she managed not to get sick. But Chase and Hayden were both sick. And if you've ever had sick kids, your heart just breaks when you look at your kids or your grandkids or nieces or nephews, and you see these boundless balls of energy, right? That On most days, you're like, please just, would you just slow down for five seconds, please? I will give you anything in the world if you will stop moving for five seconds. But when they're sick, they're just reduced to this ball of grossness. (laughs) Laying on the couch all day in discomfort, And the inability to get up and you look at him and you're like, oh, like what I wouldn't give for you to get up and go nuts for five minutes. You just want to wrap your arms around them and will them back to good health. This is what Jesus sees when he looks at the sheep without a shepherd this compassion, this love, this desire just to wrap his arms around them and will them to a healthy spirit, healthy soul. But the reality is this, without Christ-like compassion for others, without that same motivation that Jesus had, we will never act with a divine purpose in our lives. So how do we develop meaningful deep compassion like Jesus had. Some of you are naturally compassionate people. Some of you just exude that kind of compassion and God bless you. I'm so thankful for you. Most of us don't have that. So how do we develop that? How do we come to that place where we see that? Let me give you three words this morning. If you struggle with compassion for other people, I'll give you three words that you can write down. Three words you can remember as you take into the new year of how we develop compassion for others. Word number one is this, listen, listen. We can never be compassionate for other people unless we're willing to listen to them. And listening is not just letting them talk for a while so that you can jump back in and talk at them. It is listening, hearing, understanding where people are coming from. You may not agree with the situations in their life. You may see issues and problems with the way they think and the way they they interact. But are you listening to hear what's going on behind what is said, with where they're at? We have to understand that Jesus looks at the people. Jesus knows what these people are going through. He knows what their hurts are. He knows what their struggles are. We have to do the same. It's a little harder for us than it probably was for Jesus because he's Jesus and we're not. (laughs) But it starts with us listening. Number two, humble. So listen, humble. If we're going to be compassionate, We must remember our own shortcomings, our own failures, our own ineptitude. You have them, so do I. We all have plenty of shortcomings, failings, and ineptitudes. And so when we interact with those who are hurting, who are lost, it's really easy to go, well, why don't you just fix things? Why don't you just, just, just change that? Just get it right. Maybe you should act more like me, because I got it all together. But we have to remember that we are lost, broken, fallen people who are incapable of doing anything good on our own. Remember what Jesus says about us in John chapter 15, verse 5. He says, "'I am the vine, you are the branches, the one, remaining, uh, the one who remains in me, and I in him produces much fruit.'" because you can do nothing without me. Jesus says, your ineptitudes, your failings, your shortcomings mean that you are incapable of doing anything good apart from me, right? So if we're gonna be people of compassion, we have to understand the the hurts and the struggles of other people and not say, you need to just get it together and get, get more like me so that you can do good things. You say, you need the same vine that I have been blessed with. But that requires humility. The brokenness in others' lives is not something for us to judge. The brokenness in others' lives is something for us to identify with as we let Jesus heal their brokenness as he heals our brokenness. We listen, we are humble. Number three grace. We want to be people of compassion. We must listen, we must be humble was to remember grace. Remember the grace that God has poured out on us so richly. Remember how God has poured his grace upon our needs so that we can then pour his grace back into the needs of others. In uh, 2 Corinthians chapter one, this is one of my favorite sections of scripture um, just this amazing, verses four through seven, Corinthians chapter one says, God comforts us in all our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any kind of affliction, though the comfort we ourselves receive through the comfort we ourselves receive from God. For just as the sufferings of Christ overflow to us, so also through Christ, our comforter, So also through Christ, our comforter, overflows. We are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which produces in you patient endurance of the same suffering that we suffer. And our hope for you is firm, because we know that as you share in the sufferings, you will also share in the comfort. Nine times in those few verses, we hear of God's comfort. His comfort is his grace poured out upon us. His grace that takes care of us, that does what we could not do for ourselves. And he says, listen, you wanna be people of compassion? You listen to where others are hurting. You humble yourself before God and before others. And then you remember how gracious I've been to you in sustaining you, delivering you, supporting you, providing for you, loving you, all of these things that you don't deserve. Listen, be humble, grace. Develop this compassion that we might love and serve others. And so that question then comes back to, okay, so what is it that stirs our actions? Have I taken assessment of my life and what I have ahead of me this year? What am I hoping to achieve? What is it that's driving me forward? Is it my achievement? My satisfaction that others would think a certain way about me? Or is it a Christ-like compassion for those he has put in my life and put around me? Vision must stir from compassion. Okay, let's say we've, We have compassion for the lost and hurting. You figured this out. Well, where do we go from there? Well, next, we see that vision must move with purpose. Vision must move with purpose. Go back to Matthew chapter nine and verse 37, right? Jesus has just said uh, he, he felt compassion for the people because they were distressed and dejected like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is abundant, but the workers are few. Jesus says, the, the harvest is abundant, but the workers are few. What does that mean? What does that mean? Well, see, Jesus understands the needs of the people, right? He has this compassion, this care for those around him. He understands their needs. But Jesus also understands that these sheep without a shepherd are ready to engage in the gift of life. They're ready to respond to the gospel. They know they are lost. They know they have a need. When we look at our world around us, it's really easy for us to look at the world and look at the way things are going in our culture, in our society, and go, nobody in the world cares about Jesus, right? They're all fine without him. So what point, what's the point of me even talking about Jesus? The problem is, the problem is, if you have conversations with people who are far from Christ, more of them than you imagine are open to you telling them about the Savior of the world. there is a yearning in the soul of every single person who has ever lived. That knowledge that there is something more than this life. And more people than we realize are are begging for somebody to tell them about what that really is and what that really means. And so Jesus looks at his disciples and he goes, listen, There are many out there who are seeking that healing, who are seeking that redemption, who wanna see something more in their lives. He says, there are people out there who need to hear it. But are God's people gonna go to them? His instruction for his disciples here is that they would not just sit back and think that, There are plenty of other people to do the work that God has called them to. And it's the same command Jesus gives to us. It's the same reminder he puts before us today. We have not been called into the kingdom of God and into the family of God so that we can sit on our hands and and think, well, there are pastors and missionaries and and ministry people who will do that kind of work. They can share the gospel. They can do the the work. No, we must be ready to act when God calls us. Ephesians 4, verse 11 and 12. Paul just said, listen, God has called people to lots of different roles, within the kingdom, within the family of God. He says, but here's why God calls people to these these other roles. He says, it's this, to equip the saints for the work of ministry. Real quick, you're the saints. Every single one of us are part of the saints. To equip the saints, to equip us for the work of ministry, to build up the body of Christ until all reach unity in faith and in the knowledge of God's son growing into maturity with a stature measured by Christ's fullness. What Jesus tells us in Matthew 9, verse 37, what Paul tells us in Ephesians 4, 11, and 12 is that we have a mission and we have a purpose. Every single one of us who draws a breath into our lungs today has a mission and a purpose. And let me be brutally honest with you today. Whether we as a church fulfill that purpose or whether you as an individual fulfill that purpose that God has called you to has nothing to do with what programs this church offers this year. It has nothing to do with what sermon series Pastor Ron and I preach throughout this year. It has nothing to do with who walks in these doors or who doesn't. It has everything to do with how you and I will respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ. It has everything to do with how we will understand God's incredible love for us how he made us to be his children, to walk with him in unity and love and how we turned our backs on him and how we continue to turn our backs on him time and time and time again until at just the right time, he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to be born of a virgin in Bethlehem so that he could live perfectly, die sacrificially and rise victoriously to deliver us completely not because of what we had done, not because of what we have to contribute to the kingdom, but because of his love, because of who he is, and because of what Jesus had done for us. So that yes, we could stand before God on the day of judgment and be judged not by our failures and our our failings, but judged by Christ's righteousness, but also so that we could live with mission and purpose in this life. Because otherwise God would have just saved us and taken us home. He left us here for a reason. You have life in this world, on this planet, in this culture, in this town, in this church for a reason. Maybe for you, that purpose, that reason is gonna be checking in on somebody who's in need. Maybe for you, it's gonna be offering a meal to a a young family. Maybe it's gonna be giving up time and energy to meet with another person. Maybe it's gonna be sharing the gospel with your neighbor, with your coworker, with your family member. I don't know what it's gonna be for you because to be honest, I'm not sure what it's gonna be for me in the year ahead. But I can tell you this, God has a purpose for each and every one of us, and it's not to sit on our hands and go, thank you, Jesus, for saving me. See you next week. Now that can be a scary proposition, right? Listen, you're called to mission, you're called to action, you're called to some kingdom work, and I don't know what it is. That's a scary proposition. Some of you hear that and you go, well, wait, do you know what's going on in my life? Do you know how how busy I am? Do you know the appointments I have? Do you know all of this? And I don't. I don't know everything that's going on in your life. You don't know everything that's going on in my life. That's okay. Because the reality is how this looks in each one of our lives is so much less important then why we will act. Friedrich Nietzsche said, he who has a why to live for can bear almost any how. Why? The why keeps us moving with purpose in the face of scary opposition, scary propositions like you have work to do, you have a mission, you have a calling to build the kingdom. Because at the end of the day, Jesus has called you. Said the harvest is abundant, but the workers are few. Will you be one of the few? Will I be one of the few? Will we be ready to respond to the gospel this year and the days, the weeks, the months, the year ahead in some way to take the truth of Jesus Christ into that abundant field? Will we hear God's call in our lives and respond purposefully to enter the abundant field? So we're stirred by compassion. We're moved with this purpose, this calling that God has given us. But one last foundation here for our vision for the year ahead. And it's this vision must rely on the Lord. Vision must rely on the Lord. Look at how this passage closes up in verse 38. It says, therefore, right? What therefore? Jesus said, the harvest is abundant, but the workers are few. Therefore, since the harvest is abundant, but the workers are few. Therefore, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his field. Vision must rely on the Lord, right? Having compassion and purpose becomes absolutely useless if they are not empowered by the help and the hope of God's Holy Spirit. Notice that Jesus prayed here that the father would compel the workers into the harvest. It's really easy to step out of that passage and look and go, okay, I'll just pray for other people to go do the work. No, that's not the point that he's making here. He's praying that the Father would strengthen them to do what he has called them to do, that they would be compelled, that they would feel like there is nothing else they can do but go and take the gospel into that abundant field. The prayers that the Father would compel them, the prayers that the Father would compel us. And how does he do that? He does that through the filling of his Holy Spirit. In John 14, verse 26, Jesus says, The counselor, the Holy Spirit, the Father will send him in my name, will teach you all things and remind you of everything I have told you. You might go, Well, what's that have to do with taking the gospel? Well, what is everything Jesus taught as he was going in the villages and the towns healing? He was taking the gospel. God says, by the filling of the Holy Spirit, you will be reminded of what God has said, what he has spoken over you, the calling he has given you, the mission he has given you, the things he wants to accomplish in your life and through your life. It's not gonna happen by your own strength, your own power. It's gonna require the Holy Spirit, the strength and the power of our God. In his book, uh, The Forgotten God, Francis Chan uh, wrote this. He said, I don't want my life to be explainable without the Holy Spirit. I want people to look at my life and know that I couldn't be doing this by my own power. He says, I want my vision, I want my purpose to rely on the Holy Spirit. And if we're gonna live on mission for the year ahead, then we must lean into the Holy Spirit to show us how we need to grow and where we need to go. To rely on the Lord is allowing him to show us how we need to grow and where we need to go. How we need to grow is is really a matter of asking ourselves where we have put ourselves above the Lord, where we have made ourselves the God of our own little kingdoms. It's questions like, where have I made Godliness, a matter of my opinions, my preferences, and my convictions? Where do I choose lesser joys of the flesh over faithfulness to God and his word? Where do I cheapen God's grace by refusing to extend it to those around me? It's asking the hard questions of God, where where am I not who I should be in your love and your grace and your mercy? knowing where we need to grow then leads us to see where we need to go. Where are the areas where we surrender to, to God's plan for our lives? And, and maybe it's, it's where we need to surrender to God's placement in our lives. Because maybe you're sitting here today and you're like, this is not where I want to be in my life. I wish everything was different. I wish this would change. I wish that would change. But knowing where we need to go means trusting God now for what He is doing in our lives and where He is sending us in the days, the weeks, the months, and the year ahead. Because again, if you're drawing breath today, your journey is not finished. We still have a ways to go. But where we stand today has a purpose. Maybe that purpose is like the purpose God gave to Peter. When God wanted to to change the way, maybe God wants to change the way you think before he takes you to the next step. Like he did with Peter in Acts 10. In Acts 10, Peter gets this vision of God lowering all these unclean animals. And he says, What? Rise, kill, eat. Peter's like, Whoa, God, no, 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 no. I've always kept the dietary laws. I'm not going to do that. God's like, I'm God. You're not. Do what I said. But God uses this in Peter's life to show him, to open his heart to taking the gospel to the Gentiles. Peter needed that time. He needed that vision for God to show him where he was going to go next. Maybe like David, God wants to train you for what he has in store for you next. I talk about this all the time, but one of my favorite uh, passages around David is in 1 Samuel 17, verse 34 through 37, where Goliath has come out to fight and and David goes to Saul and he says, hey, let me fight Saul or let me me fight Goliath. And Saul's like, you're just this little kid. You can't do this. You You can't fight the giant. He's like, yes, I can. He's like, listen, I've been out in my father's field tending sheep. I fought a lion, I fought a bear, I killed them all and I'll kill this Philistine too. See, David had been anointed king. He was waiting to be king and he's still out tending sheep. And instead of sitting out there grumbling and complaining, can't believe I'm doing this. I should be king. Why does not anybody, everybody should just do what I say. Instead, he takes advantage of the time that God has given him to be trained to fight. And he defeats Goliath and brings glory and honor to the Lord because he's faithful where he is. Maybe like Abraham, God wants to show you how far you've already come. In Genesis 22, Abraham is called to go and sacrifice his son, his only son, the son he loves, Isaac, and he goes and does it. You know why he does that? Because God's testing him. You know who the test is for the benefit of? It's not God. God knows what Abraham's gonna do. God's not testing Abraham to see if he'll actually be faithful. God's testing Abraham to show Abraham how faithful he will be to the Lord. God's showing him how far he has already come, the faith he has already developed. See, whatever it is in your life, wherever you're at right now, you'll grasp the fullness of where God is taking you when you allow the Lord to mold and shape and sculpt and lead you through this season and this space and this trial. Relying on the Lord means coming back and saying, God, where do you want me to grow? And then where do you want me to go? Have we taken the time to consider where God wants us to grow and where he wants us to go in the year ahead? As we look at the year ahead, as we look at 2023 and we prepare for what we all hope will be the best year of our lives. We have to remember that without a proper vision of who Jesus is, what that means and the beauty of those truths that we will never be satisfied, fulfilled or able to embrace the best that God has to offer us. But even with a proper understanding of who Jesus is and and what that means for our lives and the lives of those around us, we must be ready to act. We must be stirred by compassion. We must move with purpose. We must rely on the Lord. And with these things in place, we put ourselves in a position to fulfill the calling that God has given us, to know the satisfaction of living with intentionality and mission on our daily lives. So church family, my prayer for us is that we would be ready to make 2023 the best year of our lives so far not in the sense that we'll get everything we want, not in the sense that everything will go the way we think it should go, that we'll never have any failures, we'll never have any struggles, but in the greater sense, that we serve God with more faithfulness. We respond to Jesus with more passion. We trust the Holy Spirit with more intensity than we ever have before in our lives. May we make this year the best year of our lives. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for the gift of your love and your grace and your mercy. And we thank you that as we look to the year ahead, we know that this is not just one more season of life we need to endure, not just one more time that we have to get through. But God, that you have given us a calling and a purpose in this year. Whether we realize it right now or not, no matter what we sense in our lives, no matter how we may try to push that off, no matter how broken we may feel in the moment, it doesn't matter. You have given us purpose. You have given us a mission. You have given us a calling for your kingdom, for your family, for your glory. And Lord, we wanna take this year and we wanna live that calling that you've given us to the fullest to bring the greatest glory and honor to your name, that we might know you and love you and serve you like we never have before. Lord, we thank you that as we pray this, you are already preparing situations and people in our lives for us to fulfill that calling. Lord, we love you. We thank you. We praise you. And in your great and awesome name, we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's message. If you'd like more information about Erie Evangelical Free Church or our ministries, please visit www.eriefree.com or join us in person at 1409 16th Avenue, Erie, Illinois.